I, I think this podcast would be better if it's just, you know, it's the lost one because we never hit record. <laughs> it's it's already happened. <laughs> no. Are you talking about the one on I delete off the feed? Because the, yeah. the one No, person, what was that? Oh, oh no, no, no. I, I, I was that talking about that. That's not a lost episode. That's a disposed of episode. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, uh, hello. Welcome to Shoot the Piano Player, a French New Wave podcast. Uh, I am uh, Spencer, and with me is a mysterious man wearing a bird mask. Yes, and with unlimited birds inside my jacket? I don't know. You can call me Joldex. No, please don't call me Joldex. I'm just Joel. Yeah, all right. Uh, Yeah, so this is... uh, At this point, I don't even know what the pairings are anymore. This might even not have a pairing, but this is nineteen six a movie from nineteen sixty three. It's a movie that our guest picked, and uh, uh, guest, you're you're returning for the third time. Uh, uh, who are you? I you know what I'm gonna I I'm wondering if I should just be mysterious here and and be in disguise and secretly be someone else the entire three times that I've been on the show. But I'm Dave Eves. Thank you for having me back. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, can, uh, can I start off the discussion by saying, Dave, how do you look in a cat suit? Ah, uh, you know what? Uh, my uh, my my cat suit after uh, after the pandemic doesn't fit quite as snugly as it used to, mm. or no, too snugly, too snugly. But uh, you know what? I'll I'll get back in in uh, scaling the side of a building shape soon. I think. <laughs> Excellent. Um. So, uh, Dave, you picked this movie, uh, Judex. I did. It was on your list, and I said, I love that movie. I'd love to talk about that movie. So I, I'm glad that we have the opportunity to discuss this this very weird, interesting, uh, almost like double time capsule of a movie, because it's a time capsule to the 60s French movies, as well as a love letter time capsule to uh, 1910s French pulp uh, serial cinema. So I, I will always take an opportunity to talk about something as strange and interesting as fun as, as uh, Georges. I, I can never pronounce his first name. The, the, the S at the end of Georges always messes me up. Franju's Judex from 1963. Yeah, this was the first time for me ever seeing it. I added it to a list because uh, when I was making the list, my whole thing was uh, this like French movie from the 60s. And I looked, I saw the title. I saw a poster and I thought, well, that looks pretty cool. And that's the whole reason I added it. I had no idea what to expect. And you know what? I think I love this movie. It's not, <laughs> it's not like top, like the, like the top three, top four for the season, but you know, what? it's pretty close. I'm glad yeah, to it's hear definitely, that. Definitely in the top 10, if not the top five. 
Yeah, it's one of those movies that that really doesn't get talked about too much. I mean, I first discovered it because it was out on Criterion Blu-ray. What? And it you had a Criterion? cool... I know. I, it must come as a huge shock to anyone that follows me on Twitter that, that I like the Criterion Collection. But no, it's one of those things where you see the cover or you see the poster and you say, this looks fun, this looks different, this looks interesting, and you put it on and you're just treated to to pure cinematic fun for, for 97 minutes. Because th- this has a lot of just... Th- th- this is like a movie. It has a lot of movie energy going on. It does every trick that a movie ever could play in that 97 minute runtime. Yeah, uh, Joel, what did you think of this? I was thoroughly entertained. Thoroughly. That's that's like, you know, I was talking about my attention deficit disorder and what things I can pay attention to for the whole time and not. And the way they were making this, you know, seem like a like one of the serials where plot lines like the details of what exactly was going on the whole time was not explained. And I just really dug how we were just going from scene to scene. And sometimes the transitions looked like the character we had just seen would be, you know, walking upstairs and it would transition to another person coming to the top of the stairs and their scene would start. And the, the, I think the one that like struck me the most was when uh, our, our rich, super rich villain guy uh, is just in the room with everybody, uh, you know, talking or I can't remember what he's doing. And then the next time we see him, the detective stumbles upon him, like talking to his his side piece, I guess. And <laughs> it's like, wait, 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 wait. Oh, this is awesome. Like usually, sometimes it's like, uh, what, who, what? But like, you didn't have to explain. It's really just really cool. It's almost like an early exploration of dream logic, but without being surreal about it. It almost portrays it as just, hey, this is just how the world is. And uh, it, uh, sorry, my phone started ringing there for a second, so I had to stop that before it ruined this audio recording. Um, it, it it just does it in a way where if when you after the movie you think back it's like wait a second that didn't make a lot of sense but it's too late I already enjoyed it it's like the Alfred Hitchcock icebox logic that's what this movie completely thrives on and it moves so fast and so interestingly that things like oh that guy was someone else in disguise for how long how did he make this charade work but it's too late it you 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 can't question it anymore because you had too much fun with it yeah. Uh... Like the, this, this felt like kind of like the Boonwell type of surrealism, where it's like kind of more grounded, uh, sense like sensibility side of things, and it also felt like like vamp vampire, and um, uh, Jean Cocteau, a bit. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. It's it's that kind of surrealism that does not draw attention to itself. It's not there for the sake of being there. It's just there as a device to help the story move forward. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Joel, how would you sum up uh, the plot of this? Well, there's a lot. There, I mean, it, hmm. I guess there's just a lot of scenes. The The plot is uh, there's a there's a rich, murderous jerk who has a 
a daughter who has been widowed and is immediately about to be remarried to another person uh, and she's not happy about it and at the beginning of the movie our, the rich guy receives a letter from somebody mysteriously named Judix who has said if you don't give away half of your wealth to what the poor people or something like that I can't remember the people uh, he's by, cheated oh yes the people he's cheated then by midnight of the next day, you are, you know, or you will be tormented is what it says. And, you know, he, the rich guy hires a detective and uh, the, the guy's kind of bumbling. It's a, uh, he's, he's definitely one of the most entertaining characters in the movie. And, uh, the, <laughs> the detective doesn't actually get up to, into much detecting, but he, he sees a couple of key scenes that, like, might give us ideas of what's actually going on in the beginning, such as the rich guy meeting with his mistress. Uh, the There's a point where a man comes up and says, I went to prison because you told me you'd take care of my family, but my family's dead, and my, my son is missing, or my wife is dead, my son's missing, like, all this stuff. And the rich guy actually tries to run him down. It seems like he kills him. And so it all is under, well, what happens is at midnight strikes during a party the next day. And sure enough, rich guy appears to have died and died in front of everybody. And then it turns to like a Batman 66 episode almost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's stuck in a, stuck in some basement through, they've got crazy technology to watch him. <laughs> I, Which I, I honestly, really, I really like that. I'm this this ex- movie definitely has uh, Batman energy. <laughs> uh, th- this mm-hmm. is the Batman movie that that I wish they were making today. <laughs> yeah, I was honestly expecting like Cesar Romero to show up as, <laughs> as a Joker. It wouldn't be out of place though. No. Yeah. The movie has like disguise people in disguises. You know, they have people who were thought to be dead who were coming back and, and vice versa <laughs> wait that doesn't make any sense and uh, a whole a whole series of like different kinds of burglaries cat burglaries uh, just Capers. regular armed robbery yep <laughs> uh, people climbing buildings uh, and women in tight unitards wrestling each other characters introduced the- at the last 10 minutes of the movie that end up being <laughs> oh. a main character Precocious children, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and just like this this touch of like Jallo going on that like mm. you know close ups on shiny knives and the the kind of like scene where like somebody heard something because they were standing just out of the way and you don't know exactly who heard what and all the things it's like mm-hmm. yeah but essentially it's what is it? An action action crime movie? I think uh, they went into this trying to make an adventure movie because they wanted that there were what whoever the production company was said we need an adventure movie we need something fun that audiences are going to want to see, uh, but let's go into the archives let's not come up with something original and that's how they came up with this uh, this old serial from Louis Fouillade. Uh they hired his grandson to actually write it and they hired Georges Franjou's to direct it. And uh, the rest, it, 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 the story of how it got made is almost just like happenstance, how this thing came to being. And it seems like it's just this 100% labor of love. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, like, I mean, that's the kid that's how uh, the, the, the evil governess with, uh, in the cat suit, like, that is just, uh, it's not, it's not that kind of show, but good lord, like, she was gorgeous. <laughs> Holy shit. And I like that that's just, like, her de facto, uh, clothing. It's almost like underneath anything she's wearing is that cat suit, just in case. Yeah. Disguised as a nun, cat suit underneath. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that nun disguise is the is the only part where I'm like, a nun with like full face makeup and like and the fake eyelashes and shit. No, that that's suspicious. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing suspicious in the movie. Yeah, yeah, that was my one breaking point of no, a, a nun wouldn't have that kind of makeup on. Come on. <laughs> I, I, I think I'd be pretty suspicious if, if I was at a costume ball and a dude just started doing bird magic out of nowhere. Be like, what's what's this guy's what's this guy's <laughs> deal? I'm not going to question that. Oh, he just handed a drink to this guy and then the guy died without taking a sip? Normal. I mean, there are multiple bird people there, so like... This is true, but he's yeah. the best bird person. Yeah, it's true. He, he That mask is amazing. And that's... Talk about an amazing introduction shot, too. Just the the quick uh, crane up, not knowing what face you're going to see, and you're just treated to that amazing bird mask. <laughs> that that shot... The movie could end there, and it'd be like, oh, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's... Like, okay, uh... So, uh... Well, well, Dave, I asked you before about your history of French New Wave. Mm-hmm. Do you consider Franju French New Wave? Ugh... Not really. I wouldn't consider this a French New Wave film. I mean, it has that sort of t- touch of let's take uh, the classics and reinvent them for New Age. If you're going to argue that anything he did was French New Wave, maybe you could get away with Eyes Without a Face. But he doesn't really feel like that same sort of like a Godard or Truffaut style. He-, he feels a little bit more like the old style of filmmaking, just done in a new and exciting way. Which, I mean, I guess you could argue is what the... Uh, the whole French New Wave thing is, but th- th- this has a sort of uh, traditional sense to it. Yeah, like not to uh, dunk on Godard or those people, but like this is fun. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Godard would have hated this. It's too fun. Yeah, I'm sure. That, I'm sure there's a quote from him about this that's confusing and funny at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh. So, uh, what do you guys like about this movie? Uh, uh, Joel, like, what's your favorite things about this movie? Well, you know, uh, I don't know. This, this is kind of like a mysterious, like, why, why would I do Like, usually the things that I get drawn into is, like, character development and, uh, like, drama and the story and this... When it comes to character development, we have like basically the things that are um, what just like the actions that are are right now troubling each of the people and stuff like that. Like, I have no idea why Judex is doing the thing he's doing, except for the guy is just evil, right? We don't get like a story of how Judex decided to become this person, and except for the fact enough, that he's in the 1960 serial, they do go into why he's doing it. Yeah, uh, right, because you've got, like, many different, like, kind of episodes within that serial, right? You have time to flesh that stuff out. 
and then the cereal i think according to an article on criterion channel said it's four and a half hours or five five and a half hours if you collected all the cereals yeah, con- considering how long some of the other Fuyade uh, cereals are, it's actually one of the shorter ones. It's one of the... Oh, no. I would say the big three are uh, Les Vampires, uh, uh, Phantomas, and I guess Judex. I, something tells me if this movie did not exist, the Judex cereal probably would have been forgotten a long time ago. Hmm. And it's not... I, I mean, it's available on a DVD. It's also on YouTube in a really bad version. I tried watching it. I, I, I couldn't. The, the, the resolution was just so bad that I was like, you know what? I'm going to wait. Hopefully, at some point, someone will uh, have a, an immaculate uh, 2K or 4K restoration. But uh, if you have not seen any of the Fuyade serials, they're, they're really fun. And this does such a good job of capturing that kind of energy and, and that the fun without making it with with also with, with also making it feel new and inventive like i don't know how to talk about this without being like everything's great but like everything <laughs> is great <laughs> problem again yeah. even the stuff that you would consider maybe like a flaw in another movie is done well here like like there's an extended sequence where where, where the governess in her cat suit nun disguise is trying to kill uh, Edith Scobe from Eyes Without a Face, who who, who is the 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 the, uh, the the rich evil banker's daughter, but but they're just doing it in the most roundabout ways possible. Rather than just kill her, they're throwing her off a bridge. She's floating away. She gets saved. They try to hijack the ambulance. That goes wrong. It's just all these twists and turns in this extended sequence that, done any other way, the audience might feel like. Did they forget what they were doing? Did they forget how to write a screenplay? What's happening here? But the entire time it's presented here, you're kind of on the edge of your seat because you're used to those kinds of twists and turns, or you expect them from this style of movie. This pulp movie where literally they write themselves into such a corner that the only way to get out of it is something even more unbelievable than the situation they're already in. And it becomes to the point that literally that culminates with two characters finding out that they're related <laughs> and a good guy has or a bad guy has to become a good guy momentarily only for the next scene for them to be evil again. Yeah, that that reveal for me was like, wait, wait, wait. I, I'm being like, I, I think it's also like, wait, what the fuck? What's happening? <laughs> and, and then I remembered, oh, wait, the beginning. Okay. It goes back to like that one line in the beginning. (laughs) But within this kind of movie logic, whenever someone says something, you know it's going to have a payoff, regardless of how contrived that might be. (laughs) Because it doesn't feel that way. When that old guy at the beginning says, my wife is dead and my son is missing, you know, oh, his son's someone. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, for sure. And like it would have been fleshed out in a serial in this way, like that sudden reveal... It's like, well, of course, there's only so many characters in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> it has to be someone. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. it's either going to be one of Judex's henchmen or one of the bad guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Hmm. I really, <laughs> to, 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 you know, we're talking about generalizations here. If I could talk about the scene where uh, they're still trying to get the, the freaking papers out of the office, uh, the rich guy, to, you know, the, the cat burglars, so that they can, ha- you know, get rich. They got to get rich. And when the, when the guy goes up there by himself during the daytime and he hears, the, I don't remember, is the phone ringing or he hears a sound and he climbs out onto the balcony to try to hide and immediately falls to his death. <laughs> 
<laughs> I was like, well, and they just move on. They just, it's like, well, but, uh, no but morning. The, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the crazy thing with that is that, that, that it, it, it actually moves the plot forward somehow because he knocks the birds out, which lets Judex yes. know that she's in trouble when she wasn't yet. No. It, it's these things where, like, these coincidences, like, again, in another thing, you'd be like, come on, that's too much of a coincidence. But here you're just like, oh, sweet, something good's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And I also love how, how in this movie people just have random henchmen. Like, there, there's no discussion of how, how are they paying these people, how do they know each other. It's just... Bad guy has people, good guy has people, and they are loyal. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna die for this for, for, for this cause. It's very like Silver Age comics, like the yeah, like the mid fifties to like mid sixties era, like comics of like especially like DC, where it's like it's just like very absurd, silly sci-fi plots, where it's like if you think about it too hard, it's like well, none of this connects, but it's but like. When done well, it's so much fun. It just it doesn't even matter. Speaking of things that don't make sense, so so obviously we already spoiled the fact that the uh, the rich banker uh, is assumed to be dead at some point to the point that he's literally buried and Judex digs him up. It, yep. it now in this rewatch, I took it that he was actually dead, that they actually mm. killed him, and after he thought about it, like oh the daughter's sad. Let's bring him back to life. The doctor gave us instructions just in case we need to do that. Do you think that he was just in a deep fugue state that 1916 medicine would not have been able to tell the difference between death? <laughs> or do you think that Judex literally has the power like, you know what, it's only been a couple days. Let's just revive him and keep him prisoner for life. Given the, the science and technology he has, I think that's a viable uh, way to look at it. it he, he literally is magical. Like, again, in his introduction shot, which is fantastic, he picks up a dead dove. It's, it's clearly not just a traditional magic trick, because he's not, like, trying to trick anyone into thinking the dove was dead, because he was outside. There's no one else there. He brings it inside, and it's alive. He is performing actual magic, not just sleight-of-hand magic, unless he's really, really good at it to the point that he <laughs> wants to fool the audience he doesn't know exists. But he actually has some amount of magical powers. Yeah, the, the the party scene is just that's glorious. Yeah, and I appreciate they they actually hired a uh, a, a handsome magician to play the part. <laughs> yeah, when I looked them up, I was surprised. Well, I'm not surprised, but I was like, oh, of course he's a real magician. Like yeah. only a real magician could actually pull this off. An American you know, magician being dubbed into French. I, I assume that that's not Channing Pollock's voice. He, he does not strike me as someone that's fluent in multiple languages. No offense to the band. He's very good with, with making birds appear out of nowhere. Hey, um, the I looked up his other work, and like he's got four things listed on Letterboxd. I didn't go on IMDb. Oh, let me check just, that right like, now. And the other three things are like, um, this kind of sucks. I was like, okay. Hey, come well, on. He was in an episode of Bonanza. Oh, I didn't know that. Never mind. Excellent actor. 100%. <laughs> I mean, he's got that chin, you know? You think, uh, yeah. you think you're, this guy's going to get at least the handsome guy roles, but maybe he was like, hey, I'm Judex or something. Yeah. I, I can just imagine, like, in his writer, he's like, I'll be in the movie, but I have to make a bird appear out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. He, he was his own bird wrangler. For, for a movie. 
I, I'm, I'm picturing them hiring from hiring for a role where he needs to play a serious character, and just every time in a scene, he just keeps making a bird appear. Like you need to stop with the birds. There's no birds in this scene. This is a serious scene, serious but drama. I, where do you I keep put it in my birds? actor's resume? <laughs> I love birds. We didn't think you meant birds were going to be around the whole time. <laughs> He's, he's pretty good at that. Now, uh, so you guys were talking about whether the guy was dead. Like that That's yeah. confusing the movie because he's like, I was going to kill him. Like what I assumed was happening was that he did purposely, you know, give him something where it seemed like he was dead, but he was actually still alive. And they were going to dig him up and like torture him because the letter said, like, I'm going to make your life miserable or, or something like that. It didn't say I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so I was like, right, they're really going to give it to this guy. And they, they do, you know, being trapped in there and not knowing what's going on. Like that, that is torture. Just having a giant uh, handwritten screen above you, constantly telling you uh, messages. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's, oh, that stuff is so cool. Yeah. And it's also interesting because you don't know exactly how he quote unquote kills him because he, he makes the, the champagne appear out of nowhere. He hands it to him. And he dies without drinking it. <laughs> that now that talk about a twist because you expect you expect him the second he drinks this he's gonna keel over, but he doesn't even get that far. Talk about a uh, uh, a, a nice little thing to keep you on your toes. Yeah, like this was like I described Purple Noon as like a thrill ride for me because going to that I had no idea what it was about, uh, and like this was another th- thrill ride of like. Well, what's going to happen next? Because like the, the that that last part is crazy. This part is going to be even crazier, and like it kept this game better and better with like yeah. There's no no lulls, no lulls, nonstop action. <clears throat> and and I am curious. I, I I do need to check out the 1916 version at some point because I've seen this version so many times. I'm I'm curious to see how closely it follows the story beats. I mean, if you look at the episode titles, you can kind of get an idea. Like, there's one called The Licorice Kid that has to be the, the, the kid that the detective's palling around with at the end. Hmm. Who, who, the, and the kid is uh, arguably a more competent detective than the actual <laughs> detective in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another uh, uh, Fuyade uh, theme. Like, the, the detective in, in Phantomas is, is clearly... Uh, incompetent but back in the 1900s one uh it's you almost can't tell if that was intentional if he's supposed to seem bumbling or if he's just bumbling in order to keep the plot moving forward and he's supposed to be taken seriously within the uh the world itself mm. mm-hmm. yeah. you know, the, the the kid in the back seat there's you know he keeps hiding nobody's seen him that stuff there there's a part I think when he first hides in uh, Detective, whatever his name's, <laughs> Car. Kokatan. Kokatan. Mm-hmm. Excellent storyteller and loves good stories himself. Uh, where he has like a blanket over him and he like pulls it down for a second to look and then puts it back over so the audience can see what's going on. And that's like a straight shot that is either copied in the uh, Dick Tracy movie with the, um, what's his name? Warren Beatty? Warren Beatty, thank you. Or it's that shot in the Warren Beatty movie is from one of the Dick Tracy serials. Which like, is that copy? Yeah, yeah. Either way, like, uh, I was like, chi- immediately... It's a chicken and the, the egg situation. Mm-hmm. It's like, this kid This kid must be starving, just like the other character. Yeah. No. 
and, no and, and it like does, that. and it doesn't overdo like the the silent cinema cliches. Like, there's only a couple times where you see like the uh, the, the the image iris in on a character, or iris out. It's not too much of a pastiche in that way, where it's like, okay, I get it. And sure, would I have appreciated that i probably would have thought that was fun but i i also appreciate the restraint and and the dedication to trying to make things have a more nuanced more modern feel with like cameras dollying out it's not everything being shot like a stage play it, it, it's it's able to take the fun and the story beats while doing it in a more modern way hmm. yeah uh like given like this how heightened and ridiculous this whole like the whole thing is like, do you, like, well, Dave, you've seen this a lot more. Do you connect with the characters or is this I, more like a fun ride for you? I, it's almost like the only character you can really connect with much is, is it was, excuse me, tripping over my words, is Edith Scobes because she's like the most real one because of the fact that she has like this evil father uh, who she never knew where her wealth came from and she rejects his, uh, his inheritance but that's all like front-loaded and from that point on like you said there's no real character development and i don't think you really (laughs) i don't think you really can connect with the. i think yeah it's you're just along for the ride it's just a fun romp and and that's and that's okay and it's one of those kinds of movies where somehow the uh the girl is going to end up with the guy that essentially caused her father's death um or at least is after the father and be okay with it. Uh, another movie that, that you had recommended recently, I won't spoil it, but it was really, really fun. A movie from this year that may not be an English movie follows oh, yeah, a similar yeah. trajectory there. You, you, you're, you're picking up what I'm laying down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on, is it on Netflix currently? It's currently on Netflix, and everyone should, should watch it. It is uh, three letters repeating, and I didn't spoil yeah. anything. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> Oh, is it that that new movie about AAA that came out about how yep. like they really do to fix your car and stuff? That's oh, yeah, the the AAA action movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like uh, greatest yeah. tire changing scene I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I recently saw Road Road to Perdition, uh, which I was surprised how how good it was because it's always when it was like it came out when I was like nine or ten and it was like oh this is a boring grown-up movie but uh <laughs> yeah but uh and there the, the, the thing with the kid being uh, uh like sneaking into a car and getting involved that very much reminds me of road to perdition which i know is based off of a comic i wonder like did the comic like get some influence from like the silent era type stuff because like some of that movie does feel like very old school like uh harkening back to like 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 this type of story i feel like oh i've not seen road to perdition um it, it's just one of those movies it's always been like a, oh yeah that mm. exists i should check that out at some point but i, I mean judex it <clears throat> excuse me hopefully that can be edited out if not it's okay y'all yeah. got a treat to hear that weird yeah, can, sound can, yeah i'll edit this I'll edit around <laughs> this don't worry you can start over <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I have not seen Road to Perdition. It's been one of those movies that's just always kind of been like there. Like, oh, I should check this out at some point. But but definitely like if you're going for that pre-Superman comic book era, you're, you're going to be kind of featuring this sort of pulpy gangster action with proto-superheroes. I mean, Judex 
is essentially a superhero movie from an era before I can't even say capes because he basically wears a cape during the movie, but there's no superpower. Oh, I can't even say he has no superpowers because he does bird magic. But uh, yeah, and you also brought somebody back from the dead, I guess, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he clearly has some amount of superpowers, but it's not like drawing attention to it. I guess it is drawing attention to it. This is just a superhero movie that doesn't call itself at that. Because uh, we have a, a masked Avenger that is uh, being a vigilante, trying to take care of something that uh, police and detectives are too bumbling to do. Um, there was something I was reading that, that, that says it compares it very much like with The Shadow, which uh, hmm. is a character that I guess I'm not too familiar with. They made like a movie in the 90s with Alec Baldwin. Uh, is that The Shadow? Or is that The yes. Phantom? No, The Phantom, Phantom Billy Zane. Yeah, he slams yeah. evil. Shadow is Baldwin. Gotcha. I've seen The Shadow like 15 times. I've not seen that one, but I, I, I do on ironic. Oh, maybe a little ironically, but mostly unironically enjoy the, uh, the Billy Zane one. It's not great, but it at least mm. has some, uh, fun, uh, some fun, uh, stunts like jumping out of a plane onto a horse. <laughs> oh yeah. And, and an inexplicable, menu. ridiculous costume. At least the costumes in Judex make sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh going back to road to perdition, the only, but the only like really bad thing to me in the movie is you get early um, Craig, uh, Daniel Craig, uh, but his American accent is, uh, in my opinion, kind of shitty. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's his best one because I've never really heard him do an accent. But man, like, bad, it's it's distractingly bad. And uh, Jude Jude Law's accent is pretty good, but it's you know not great. Oh, wait, that's Sam, Sam Mendes directed it. Oh, yeah. of course. That makes sense. Anyway, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Joel, do you have opinions on Road to Perdition? <laughs> I actually haven't seen... I've seen part of it, but, like, when it... We didn't do our research for this for this episode. We should have watched yeah. Road to Perdition. Hmm. Um, I, at the point I was watching it, I was watching, like, Jude Law set up dead people for photographs and I was like this is yeah. disturbing I don't know if I'm gonna watch this and then I never yeah, picked it up again no. he has ugly teeth and like fucked up nails in it too he's alright does uh Carol Danvers aka Miss Marvel or Captain Marvel show up uh <coughs> unfortunately no but okay. you do uh. get to see the new Superman and some I can't remember what the series is called uh, the kid the main kid and it is a new Superman and like the TV uh, TV show stuff oh really, oh, really? okay yes mm. I can't remember his name offhand uh, but uh, yeah uh, uh, it says his name is Slick Jensen no that's not true <laughs> uh, L- Lois and Clark is that what I'm thinking of there's new, that's there's Dean a, Kane. No, there's a new Superman thing it's it's called Clark and Lois. Clark oh. and Lois. Yes, oh, because okay. they're <laughs> Yeah. Uh but uh hmm. I'm say about this. Yeah, uh, I, stop me if I've already said huh? this about this movie, because I, I find it very interesting that they chose to make it still set in the nineteen tens. Uh, because some of the other Fuyade remakes mm-hmm. of the 60s, like there there's a famous Phantom series with, with Jean Marais, which are arguably far more comedic 
huge Batman 1960s energy. They're not as they're, they're nowhere near as good as this, but they're still fun. And they set that in modern day 60s France. Hmm. You could have done that here. It wouldn't have been as good, but you think that would be the natural assumption like, "Oh, we're going to update this for a modern time." But I really really appreciate the fact that we're still in the 1910s with the 1910s cars with this technology that literally makes no sense it literally can only be explained with magic i think it just really heightens the whole experience all overall yeah i like having a period piece uh set at this time period where it's not like a serious war movie or serious drama it's like it's a goofy adventure movie that happens to be set at this time that usually is saved for like serious topics yeah, and it even has the, uh, the, the, the the title card at the end, like a memory of unhappy times, which I, I think really kind of shows like what, what sort of importance these serials had. Like the, the, these were people's way of escaping from the tragedies of, of life that existed at that time. And it's even though it may not be f- nice and fun to look back at this time because so many horrors happened, there were some glimmers of... of of hope and of joy that still existed during that time period as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, what was it? Uh, the, uh, this is like, I'm sure I've prepared you guys before this, but uh, are there any like uh, other uh, like serials or, or movies from this era that like you would want to see like a fun reboot of kind of similar to this? I mean, I would love to see... I mean, I, they keep making Irma Vep, which is kind of hearkening back to Les Vampires. I think uh, the original series would be a little bit harder to put into this time period, but do Phantomas again. Why not? Phantomas is fun. You can do it in a serious fashion. You can do it in a comedic fashion. It's been done both ways since then. Uh, like the 60s one, like I said, is comedic. They did a TV series in the 70s. I'm sorry, someone's mowing their lawn like right outside my window. Um, no worries. The, the one from the 70s was written was co-written by Louise Bunuel's son. Uh, I, I think that's probably like the, the big tentpole of the uh, French uh, 1910 serials, uh, especially since you had all the books that were written. And for anyone that has not seen Judex or has not seen anything from this time period or the 1960s one, to, to really give you an idea of just kind of how off the wall and zany and twisty and turny these kinds of movies and books and things are, the Phantomas series, which was books before it was a TV, uh, before it was a movie serial, were written by two guys. And they had to churn the books out so quickly because they were doing like at least one a month. Uh, they would take turns writing chapters. So one would write mm-hmm. one chapter while the one would write the next one. And I don't think they were really communicating well. So you do have situations where literally you have, like, we need to kill this person. Oh, they're still alive. Let's get in the ambulance. Oh, this happened. And that's kind of where you have these sort of narrative almost flaws that become a feature of the narrative itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, to me, I don't know. It's really fun. It's it's something that's uh, uh, from a bygone era that, that you almost can't replicate today because yeah. in today's world, everything needs to make total sense. I, I mean, I, what would it be? Cinema Sins would probably tear this movie apart because it doesn't make sense unless you're uh, unless you have a soul and enjoy things. <laughs> and you can't really get this anymore because people, I think, take their fun a little bit too seriously, even when we're talking about modern-day superheroes. Yeah, I no mean, one... like, this, like, the writing process is just like the old Marvel method of 
the the like the artist and the writer aren't necessarily on the same page because some like the old Stan Lee stuff, it, you'll see a clear disconnect between uh like there was no like communication between the two or they were just not talking to each other at the time. Which is like like why some of that stuff turns out so wacky and strange and I think it was. Uh, who was I think Joel? You might have to correct me. I think didn't uh uh Dream Gray blow up a planet in one thing and later on, but that turned out to be a mistake from the artist. It's like oh, I didn't know about that miscommunication. There's something from the Phoenix <laughs> Saga that happened. I, worth like, I know she blows she blows up a planet, and that's why they end up killing her, like coming for revenge later. Yeah. There's, but I didn't know that was a mistake. There's something around that time with Jean <laughs> I didn't Grey tell you to blow up a planet, <laughs> Mar- <laughs> Mighty Marvelite. <laughs> well, I'll be Googling that while you guys talk about a movie. <laughs> uh, I can't remember. There's a Jean Grey moment late, like around that time that was like a mistake. That's like a dramatic death or something. That was a artist writer miscommunication that just kind of. The fans were like, oh, this is good. And so they had to stick with it <laughs> until they retconned it because it's, it's comics. Marvel. You have to re- <laughs> yeah, you got to retcon everything every five years, basically. Yeah, if you can't tell, I've gotten back into comics. So it's been, <laughs> that stuff is like on my mind uh, a lot more than it used to be. <laughs> um. Oh, I was thinking of, like, remake-wise, it's a little later, but I wouldn't mind seeing, like, a, a, like, a 1920s-style remake of, um, uh, <clears throat> uh, The Man Who Laughs, because that movie is really effective with, like, just the presentation and how it does, uh, like, you know, the, like, making you, like, feel sad. For uh, for the titular man who laughs, and I wouldn't mind seeing like a modern remake, but done you know closer to like the 1920s style. I'd totally be down for that. I'm kind of surprised no one's tried that, considering I, again to go with comic book connections, everyone brings up that one picture of Conrad Veet saying like, "Oh, this was the inspiration for the Joker." You'd think you'd at least get some people to 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 justify the budget, but. <laughs> Something tells me that it would probably not end up in the uh, the the best artistic Paul Lenny style that that uh, that, that, that that he employed during that uh, uh, end of the silent era. But I would I would definitely watch that. I, I think that could definitely be right because that that's a movie. It's almost like a kitchen sink movie. It has comedy. It has horror. It has drama. It has swashbuckling. Literally anything you could have thrown into the man who laughs. Yeah. It has. Yeah, and that's uh, not H.G. Wells. It's one of famous authors. Uh, Is that Jules of, Verne? I gotta double check now. Uh, I remember um, someone too. I was surprised. <sighs> Made him laugh. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's uh, Victor Hugo. That's it. That's the name I'm trying to think of. That kind of makes sense. Yeah, Jules Verne would not make sense, but Victor Hugo does. Yeah. All right, Here, I'm so, checking its IMDb to see if anyone has ever tried remaking this. <laughs> so it, it, this seems like something you probably would have gotten a, like a, a hackneyed 1950s version of. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, 
Okay, so uh, since we're just like since this is more like a love fest, like what are, what are your favorite <laughs> moments and slash like sequences, uh, like in this? I mean, I'll talk about it till the end of time. That first intro shot is just. It's branded in my brain, especially since literally, e- e- even though with, you haven't seen the character's face, you've never been introduced to Judex, uh, the second that it goes up there, you know that's Judex. You, you know <laughs> just by the camera language that this is going to be, I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I, I just found a 19, uh, uh, not 1912, uh, The Man Who Laughs was remade in 2012 and the one image just looks so, uh, uh, almost like they were trying to make uh, Twilight out of the man who laughs. Hmm. Th- this guy literally just kind of looks like a, a handsome Joker. Like, uh, <laughs> literally, uh, yeah, l- literally, it looks like they try to make handsome uh, uh, costume drama Joker circa uh, Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. This does not look good. It is a French film, and it, ha- it has a 6 out of 10 on IMDb. But you can never trust IMDb. I got wow. sidetracked there. Um, obviously, as I said, like that first intro shot of Judex, I, I really like the ending where Kokatan uh, me- meets his former love, who is the, the carnival acrobat, <laughs> and how she just Naturally. jumps into action and becomes basically the hero, does more than Judex has done in the entire movie by uh, by, by battling our, our main villain, who ends up being the, the, the governess. Um I, I really like all the stuff that happens in Judex's lair. That's all wonderful. I'm trying to think about other things that just stick out as being wonderful because there's so much wonderfulness here. It's 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 a a, a plethora of, of treats. I'll I'll let someone else go though. I've been talking yeah. for a while. Yeah, yeah. For me, it's just like the evil lair because like this going into this, like you know, like I said, I had no idea what to expect. And then, like it's an evil lair with the with the mad science like. Like Batman sixty six energy is like oh this is just like goofy fun I love it and it's like having all secret doors having like the like the the uh, the, the 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 tap he writes on it shows up on you know, on the on the ceiling of the of the cell which was feels like um, a similar thing at, uh, from Jason Argonauts with like the stuff of the Olymp- Olympian gods uh, looking to like a pool. Or uh, like a bowl of water. I can't remember what it was exactly in that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and just like the evil lair and this like the the crazy reveals that in the moment are like, wait, what the fuck? And then you think about it, like, oh no, there was a line about it, so therefore it makes yeah, they, sense. <laughs> they set it up. They set it up. And, and to the point about the crazy technology, I, I also really appreciate that they never gave into the temptation to try to explain how anything works. Oh, definitely no. It's just knob and tube, uh, TV screen, uh, mirror camera from 1916 that just works. Just go with it. (laughs) Yeah, and just the the governess character is like, uh, she's just like the the most fun villain. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. It, It could just be a movie all about her coming up with these stupid schemes, you know, and then the inevitable ending. I'm just imagining somebody watching this movie and being like, what? No, wait, you have to tell me what is going... How could they... No, stop, what? Back. <laughs> going out like that. 
the German, like uh, I like that scene with the German shepherds when oh, they yeah. almost kidnap the lady, <laughs> and then these three adorable dogs show up and they got their tongues wagging out. And you're like, Arr. I'm like, where's that coming from? <laughs> it's not from those dogs. <laughs> yeah, I love that part. My, my, my note was there, like, oh look, these good boys, and they're just like, they're they're, they're happy to be there, and uh, like that's part of like the weird surrealness because like they're not growling and like and like they're clearly happy and it's like that disconnect of like what the fuck is happening i don't care this is just so much fun <laughs> yeah i love that one huh? of them uh this like is standing on on the body and it's like oh this, is this supposed to be scary i'm not sure what's supposed to be exactly but that thought but that dog is adorable <laughs> I think that, like, she keeps ending up seeing people or almost getting captured and, and this stuff like that. And she's never telling anyone. She's just like, the next day she's teaching piano to, to a little girl. And it's like, eh, life goes on. Just it just like the guy. solved by communicating. Exactly. <laughs> but it's why don't that she does it. Everybody yelling at the screen, why don't you release your pigeon? I mean, dove, rather. Same animal. <laughs> uh <laughs> And before I forget, Elis uh, Scobe, Scoob, Scobe, Scobe. She was in the Milky Way, the Bumel movie, playing the Virgin Mary. Oh yeah, she was in that. Yeah, she has that really funny part where Jesus is like, "Should I shave my beard?" And she's like, "No, it, it, look, it looks good on you." <laughs> Have either of you seen? Uh, speaking of Elis Scobe, uh, Eyes Without a Face. No, that's uh, an upcoming episode we're gonna do. I'm glad that it's covered. That's all I wanted to say because that's um, that that that's uh, I'll, I'll keep my opinions to myself because you have another guest I'm sure uh, that that is rearing to talk about that. I'm sure you guys are going to love that one too. Very different from this though. I'd imagine I've seen the one screenshot from it a whole bunch, and I remember uh, I went from like maybe 19 eight, or 18 the first time I saw like like the the graphic kind of like screenshot of, a, of, a, of her face and it's like never be surprised like like a, a french movie from the 60s can be gross and weird yeah and so it's always been like one of those i'll get to it one day mm-hmm. for me hey you got a good which, excuse you got a podcast yeah which movie was it uh, eyes, eyes without a face oh i did see that oh it's re- it's good it's disturbing yeah yeah and uh it's, it's there's like animal violence in a way that I'm like, eh, I don't like that. Like it's not, I don't remember they show anything on screen, but you know, it's insinuated that like experiments have been going on. No, but it's not, not like the sleazy Italian seventies shit. Yeah. No, they, they don't, you know, it's, okay. it's not like uh Tampoco. No, I'm just kidding. Tampoco. <laughs> they ate that turtle. It's fine. Oh, sure. Yeah. It doesn't make it any easier animal. to watch. That's that's, that's why if you you kill an elephant as long as you eat it it's fine. <laughs> At least it didn't go to waste. It wasn't like uh, uh, Holy Mountain with the frogs. They didn't eat those frogs. No, they blew up like fifty frogs for no reason. Yeah, but you scoop them up, you put them in the chili. Come on, perfect. Got yourself a stew going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, but yeah. Uh, uh, Dave, would you rec- uh, well, have you seen other Frenju movies? I've only seen three of his films. He, he's one of those weird characters of of cinema that like explodes on the scene with like two of my favorite movies ever. 
Uh, the only other one I've seen is Spotlight on a Murderer, which is just okay. It was kind of a letdown, considering how much I love Eyes Without a Face and Judex. I, I know he has a lot of uh, short documentary stuff, including uh, one, uh, The Blood of the Beast, that's about a slaughterhouse that I have not been able to uh, stomach putting it on because of animal violence, because you know that you're going to see it. It's a lot easier for me to go into a movie when I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, especially mm-hmm. since this is going to be completely unsimulated because it is a documentary. But that that's kind of what uh, launched him onto the cinema scene. Um, I'm trying to look about his other things because I don't think there's really much... Yeah, he did not make a lot of films and not many of them are really regularly available. Hmm. So, I, I mean, his... Uh, his... Uh, Narrative work seems to begin in 19... Let's actually double-check this. Seems to begin in 1959. And his last movie he made was 1974. That's a pretty short tenure as a director. And of that, the only two that really stick out are Eyes Without a Face and Jude X. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, it could be like an estate thing. Like the the, the the common boring answer of like uh, who owns what slash maybe the state is difficult to work with. Yeah, th- that's entirely possible. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I also imagine it's like the byproduct of the cashier to cinema, cachet to cinema people being dismissive of uh, like mainstream French movies of the era. Yeah, and like I think. I think that's a big part of why, like, a lot of mainstream French movies of that time just aren't available over here, because, like, because Godard and Truffaut were making movies, so therefore their opinion is more important than, like, you know, what was the popular cinema at the time. Yeah, especially especially when you're importing foreign cinema, so much of it goes based on what the, what the canon is, and they rewrote the canon for this era... Uh, and Eyes Without a Face snuck in because it had such an impact. I, what, was it at uh, Berl- was it at Venice or was it at Cannes? I think I think it might have been Cannes that was uh, the uh, the big uh, shocker at. So so he, he managed to, to sneak that in with, without hmm. being uh, too disregarded by by his peers. But yeah, it's something like Judex. I'm honestly a little bit shocked that that it has not been lost, despite being as good as, good as it is, because it is so almost contrary to, to everything else going on in France at the time. Like I said, this this really doesn't feel like a French New Wave film. Nothing about it strikes you as being something that would be made by Godard or 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 Truffaut or even Demi or, or Renat or anything like that. Or, uh, 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 yeah, Rene. It's, it's, it's its own fun thing. It feels like a major studio production, and it's just wonderful. Yeah, it feels like the only com- easy comparison of his of his era would be like Jacques Tati. Yeah. And that's really the closest, but Jacques Tati is also doing his, his own separate thing that's hard, really hard to like e- easily describe. Yeah. At, le- at least the, the French New Wave guys seem to appreciate him and like him. Because one of the... One of the... Oh my goodness, why can I th- not... What, what's, what's, what's the kid from Forded Blows? Not, not uh, Jean-Paul... Uh, uh, what, what what's the character? Oh, ask the wrong person. Four hundred blows. The it's character's name is not, not. It's the character that Jean Pierre Liot plays. Is oh my god, Antoine Duenel. Oh, 
so one, one of the Antoine Duenel movies, one of the later ones, uh, th- there is a, uh, a Mr. Hulot cameo, not played by Jacques Tati, but, but Truffaut throws him in there as kind of like a, a nod, not in a satirical way, but just as in, in, in an appreciative way. So I think that Tati was, uh, I think the French New Wave was cool with Tati, mm-hmm. to at least some degree, at least some people were. Yeah. Oh, and, uh, Joel, I told you this a while ago. And Dave, I don't know if, if you've seen the movie Pigsty by Pasolini. I've not. I've not seen a lot of Pasolini. It's, it should be on Cartoon Channel uh, as of now. But there is a... It might be the most Pasolini Pasolini, which is really saying a lot. That's it. <laughs> but uh, there's a character in it who is a, like a pastiche of Hitler in like modern, modern then, like 60s uh, Italy, who... Pasolini wanted Jacques Tati to play the, the pastiche of Hitler. <laughs> and uh, apparently he turned it down, which I, I really wish he would have said yes. That would have made the movie even more strange and, and wonderful. Does it go by another name? Oh, oh Porchile. I should have been able to figure that out. My my, even though I don't speak Italian, I should have at least recognized poor sign or poor seal. Yeah. Uh, Do you like Bel de Jour, the 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 guy in the dark clothes? Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, uh, he's in it, and uh, oh, and so is Jean Pierre Liot. Oh. Yeah, the 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 the, the guy from uh, the, the the guy that uh, oh oh my God, why can I not think of names today? Um. Uh, that that uh, oh, this th- th- this is making for a really interesting podcasting. People stumbling over famous people's names. The French Connection. Who did that? That was oh, not Friedkin. Frankenheimer. He, Friedkin. Friedkin. Uh, <laughs> Friedkin said, "I want the Spanish guy from that oh, Louis yeah. Benoit <laughs> film." When he meant the guy from <laughs> from <laughs> from Belle de Jour, and instead they got uh, Fernando yeah. Ray, and he's like, "Who are you?" He's <laughs> like, well, "Let's just roll with it." <laughs> Yeah, I, and uh, he is dubbed because I believe uh, he either refused to learn English or he couldn't learn English soon enough. And so, uh, yeah. well, he's he's always dubbed when he's in French films. So why not uh, why not keep it going for English language films? Yeah, uh, Piccoli uh, would would dub him in. Yeah, well, he was his uh, voice. <laughs> yeah. That's got to be kind of insulting. Like, hey, I've worked with you in films. You want to give this guy a voice instead of being the part yourself? Hmm. I'm, I'm sure he. I'm sure he expected it since, like, he couldn't speak French. Yeah. No, I. No, I'm, I'm saying more so insulting for 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 Piccoli, but Piccoli just oh, seems yeah. like he was a cool guy that just liked working with with whoever. Yeah. Okay, uh, J Dog, you've been quiet for a while. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll start with you. So, uh, recommendations for. I mean, obviously, we all, we all recommend Judex. It's available. It's out there to to see. I got my. Uh, a Blu-ray from a former guest, Elby. She was getting rid of a bunch of Blu-rays, and so I got mine for a, a very good price. And uh, Elby, if you hear us, thank you. And um, yeah, so J Dog, 1963 recommendations. You can go first. Uh, so let me go back to that thing I was looking at I went to the 400 blows and then I was looking at that kid's other movies and he's been out running a bunch of cool looking stuff alright 
the year of 1963. Nope, not, not that. No, no, no. Not that 63, the other one. Show watched films. I'm trying to get it to narrow down. Okay. Yeah, we've covered, of course, we've covered 1963 a couple of times. Yeah. So, is is there anything new? I don't think so. Because I've recommended America, America. And we did Detective Bureau 2-3, Go to Hell Bastards. Yeah, our, our first season. Super mm-hmm. fun movie. Who's Minding the Store with Jerry Lewis. And, uh... Yeah, I, I really don't have anything new to, new to recommend. recommend. I, all, all I'll say is, if you've seen the 90s haunting with Liam Neeson and uh, a bunch of, you know, Owen Wilson and Catherine Zeta-Jones and the, the actual main person who I'm trying to blank on her name, I'm say Matt Lily, Willard, but Lily Taylor? Oh, she's an X-Files. I know you're talking about. Yeah. And she was a big 90s. Yeah. Willard is in 13 Ghosts, not The Hobbit. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so if you haven't seen the 1963 movie that that is based on, you should throw the 90s movie into the garbage pile where it belongs. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can like what you like. But definitely check out the 63 version by directed by Robert Wise because it like is it's full of actually frightening atmosphere it's, it doesn't have any, like, I've got to save all these people kind of thing that that movie, for some reason, has. It's just, like, a, a tale of a, almost, like, just tragic things happening to people that end up staying at the wrong place. And, yeah. So, The Haunting 1963. I've probably recommended it before. I'm just reminding you, turn off the other one. Turn it. Yep. Turn it off right now. You. Uh, uh, uh. Okay. Okay. All right, and uh, Dave, you? I'm looking through my letterbox as well because uh, the first time I was on your show, we were talking about uh, Jean Luc Godard's Contempt, which is also from '63. So I'm trying to remember what I had recommended then. And, I'll and still recommend. The, and you're on the Soft Skin episode too. Yes, which yes, which was '66, I believe. '64. A little later, yeah. Little later, little later. Which I'm clearly uh, sticking with, uh, yeah. yeah. With, with, yeah, which, with these two years here yeah, but I'm still going to recommend yeah. Contempt uh, uh, that's still my favorite Godard movie but going off the beaten path I'm probably sure I recommended Winter Light and the Silence because I love Bergman uh, what? But I'm also, oh I know another big <laughs> shocker uh, anyone that follows me on Twitter is going to be <laughs> shocked that I like Igmar Bergman um, but I'm also going to recommend Shoei Imamura's The Insect Woman Japanese Ooh, film from this time good. um Really, really great exploration of, uh, again, in the 1910s, but in a different culture and a woman that is uh, uh, dealing with uh, some prostitution. Let's just put it that way. Great movie. Uh, Another French. It's immemorial, so incest might show up. It's a thing (laughs) that he likes. Trigger (laughs) warning. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Another French New Wave film from this year uh not that uh judex is french new wave but i i really love elaine rena uh or renee's i can never pronounce pronounce french names or english words sometimes uh but muriel is a great film that really uh 
plays around with a concept of time. Uh, I really recommend that. It's not as good as maybe anything like um, uh, Last Year at Marion Bad or Hiroshima Mon Amour or maybe even, um, oh, oh, uh, Je Tem, Je Tem. But th- this is an understated movie that, that really kind of deserves to be seen, especially just kind of how it plays around with the temporal space and the way it tells a story. Um, I think I probably recommended this last time, but I'm going to do it again. It's mm. a Turkish film called Dry Summer. Uh, again, trigger warning, if because there, there is some animal violence here. I cannot tell if it was simulated or not. Uh, so if you have any issue with that, don't check it out. But if you're okay with trying to stomach it, it probably has one of the most evil villains I've ever seen in any movie without being like twisting his mustache silent era he's just vile and reprehensible and just terrible in every way and it's a really entertaining interesting watch especially if you're not too familiar with with uh films from the middle east or films from places like turkey uh and i'll just do one last one for a slightly lighter one uh billy wilder's irma Ledus is uh is really fun i think if i remember correctly elvira has a small part in that movie does she uh she was in uh cassandra peterson was like when it was in italy when she was younger for a little for spent some time there for some reason and she is in a fellini movie but i can't remember which one in a small part oh this is not fellini this is billy wilder oh billy wilder maybe i'm getting I'm stuff mixed up she shows up in some movie around this time Let's find out. I'm going to our IMDb. We're solving this mystery on uh, on the air. Okay. Right. Let's uh, see. She oh, shows th- up in Roma. Roma. Okay. Yeah. No, but Irma Leduce is a, a Shirley MacLaine, Jack Lemmon movie. Not as good as The Apartment, but still a good pairing on another movie about prostitution. <laughs> I guess I have a, a thing going with my recommendations today, but uh, it's long. It's it's like it's it's over two hours, but it's a very fun, interesting, good movie set in Paris. Uh, so slight connection there, but obviously with a Hollywood budget and Hollywood actors and uh, Billy Wilder's comedic era is, is is always something to be appreciated. Oh, I I'm thinking of that other the fleeing movie. What is it called? I will get those two tiles mixed up. The one from 1960. Uh, oh, 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 oh my god. Uh, not La Strada. Um, Knights La, Dolce, La Dolce Vita? Oh, La Dolce Vita. Yeah. No, that's a great one. Yeah, I always get those two tiles mixed up in my head for some reason. That's all right. Yeah, okay. For me, a previous episode on a movie that I like a little more than Joel, but... Uh, it's an anthology movie called Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. It's ultimately just like a fun sex comedy uh, <laughs> set in different time periods in Italy. In Italy and each uh, each time it's starring Marcello Mastroianni and Sofia Loren. It's, uh, it won the Oscar uh, for best... Not that matters, but it beat uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg for best foreign <laughs> film, <laughs> which is like <laughs> fucking insane and wrong. <laughs> but it's it's just like a fun like Italian sex comedy romp. You get to see Marcello like in in three, you know, go from like his goofball comedy mode to being like cool and distant. 
uh, like uh, mode. It's it's a, it's a it's good enough. The mill segment kind of sucks. And uh, what else was it? Oh, um, give me a second. Uh, Black Sabbath, the Bava film, which we're not going to cover, but it's another anthology film. Uh, that's one with the classic horror guy, uh, Boris Karloff, and they're yeah, it's just it's a classic for a reason. Highly recommend it. And I can't remember which version I saw because some people say the Italian dub version is better. Some people say English dub version is better. Where I saw one of them, I really loved it. And uh, what's the other one? Oh, oh, Charade, because uh, uh, I love Sh- uh, not Shelley Duvall. I love Audrey Hepburn. She is my favorite actress. Well, her and Shelley Duvall. But a Charade is a uh, a classic for a reason. I rewatched it this week, and uh, man, that movie's so much fun. It's just the best. <clears throat> All right, that's it, uh, and this will come out at some point. I don't know when. <laughs> I'll uh, be I there. Yeah, literally, because I'll be on the episode. <laughs> that that, yeah. that would be something if if I was someone else by the time this episode came out, that would be yeah, that would be the great reveal. I pull off the fake beard. We didn't even talk about that. Like, yeah, we didn't talk about how how, how long has he been <laughs> that guy? Was that guy exactly. someone else at some point, and he he kidnapped him and took his place, and no one noticed, <clears throat> or has he just been in for the long con? Like that guy was old. How long was he? Was he a kid trying to pretend to be that guy for a while? Just another one of those things that would have been explained in the serial, but... I wouldn't be so sure it was explained in the serial. (laughs) That's the kind of thing that they would gladly gloss over because the more you think about it, the less sense it makes. That would be funny if, like, he just showed up as that old man, like, two years ago and was like, here's my resume. And he was like, you're hired. Trust me with all your finances and greatest secrets. <laughs> Why are you I'm rubbing your hands together? Guy. I'm oh. not a young magician no wearing magician. a false beard. Oh. <laughs> Didn't I just see you do a backflip outside? Uh, no. That was... Where did that bird come from? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Too many uh, birds, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my, my grandma, uh, the one who died earlier this year, she was terrified of groups of birds. So I, I feel like the bird stuff in this movie would f- generally freak her out. She's really, superstitious. She's very superstitious <laughs> about that stuff. She told me about haints. She's from West Virginia, for the record. Haints, which are like evil spirits that will like uh, um, give you a bad day or something. I can't remember exactly what it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, you like beards or birds. <laughs> I do love How about birds, birds with beards. Yeah, eh, kind of weird. We we really missed the mark by not recommending Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds, which was also this oh, year. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's an anti-bird propaganda though. Yeah, this is this movie's pro-bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I read the short story at the first high school I went to. It's about communism, apparently. That message is lost in the Hitchcock version. Yep. I like that movie, but it's definitely not the best Hitchcock. It's No, it, it's, it's fun, but 
I, I don't know. When I first watched it as a kid, it was like, but why are the birds doing this? And as as an adult watching it, you're a little bit more like, I don't care. It's birds attacking people. <laughs> but but it def it, it, of all of his films, it's probably aged the worst. Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, I, I lost your accounting. Like uh, which one? Funderburg mentioned that. I think murder, the early early one is really racist. Oh jeez, it's been a while since I've seen that one. I've even podcasted about it, and I cannot oh. remember <laughs> the racism. Uh, probably that that one's not very good though. Of his early stuff, blackmail was the uh, wait. Did I like blackmail more? I can't even remember anymore. That I that that's the problem sometimes with watching too many movies. Like your brain just can't handle too many sometimes, and they all oh, just yeah. kind of become some amorphous blob. Uh, but mm-hmm. but I remember blackmail being the better movie about murder hmm. than murder. Yeah, I've never seen, I never haven't delved into the early early Hitchcock stuff yet. It's one of those I'll I'll get to it one day. I recommend uh, uh, for his pre Hollywood stuff definitely check out the Lady Vanished. Uh, yeah, that one's good. That one's really good. Yeah, that's been on my Netflix DVD list for like seven years at this point. <laughs> that that one, uh, not not to say like that one's worth your time. I hate that saying, but if you're gonna check out any of them, that's probably the best one to start with. All right. Yeah, I should move that one up pretty soon. All right. So, Dave, are you gonna be on Wrong Reel or any other shows oh, in geez. the next? few months it, I, sh- I i probably should start uh, scheduling things i i have been uh podcast light recently um so so it's always good to be back back in the swing of things i should talk to james see if we have anything because i know that we, we we often talk about like oh we should do an episode on this we should do an episode on that and then uh just timing doesn't always work out so i have nothing to pitch for the upcoming future i i was recently on an episode of oh my goodness what is that podcast called please edit this out because it's going to okay all right i was recently on an episode of chasing labels which is a great podcast talking about uh physical media releases and blu-ray releases is that that that's my most recent podcast appearance uh but uh i need to get back in the swing of things okay and you've been on wrong real a whole bunch talking about um bergman you and, yeah. you and becky seem to be the, the only bergman people allowed on the show now we're just talking about bird men instead. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think he, I want to say he did at least four or five that I can remember. Oh yeah, no, I think I, I think I think we did. I think Becky and I have done like ten Bergman episodes total, seven on Wrong Reel, and three with Film Baby Film, John Lovinger's podcast. Uh, we we have very few Bergman films left to talk about, but I know that we'll we'll. Uh, I think we wanted to try to get through his whole filmography. We got a another thing we got to get back on the wagon with. So Becky, if you're listening, <laughs> let's let's uh, let's find some Bergmans that have yet to be uncovered. Maybe we'll go through his uh, his his cinem- cinematic mistakes, like all these women and uh, the Serpent's Egg. All right. Uh, okay. J Dog. Uh... What 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 you got coming up besides our other podcasts we do? Besides arbitrary indiscriminate movie podcast, uh, which has a Patreon, you can subscribe to patreon.com slash aim podcast. There's some uh, special episodes. I'm about to post the one that we did about uh, Spencer's obsession with uh, Real Housewives and what they do. It's not obsession. It's just a good series. 
I mean, he will not stop talking about it. He sent me some pictures of him getting autographs from them. It was crazy. I would not anyway, get from any of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think he has a tattoo uh, that says, well, I, I'm not going to yeah. tell you. It was, a, it's revealed in the uh, Patreon episode. I'm a good Jewish boy. I won't get tattoos. So I can be buried in a cemetery. It's on his butt. Anyways, uh, no, I've got no. a video game YouTube series on uh, where I played through a really silly puzzle game called Sherlock Holmes and the Hound of the Baskerville. Ever heard of it? It has nothing to do with story, practically. And uh, I just finished my play. let's play of The Day of the Tentacle, which is the sequel to Maniac Mansion. And uh, I knew that game very well, so it's kind of a walkthrough. Still playing Elden Ring, still doing videos. All that stuff is under JDT Games or JDT Games underscore KCD. KCD used to be Kind Cat Dad. And I got too embarrassed calling myself Kind Cat Dad. It's kind of hard to say. Kind Cat Dad. Kind Cat Dad. Kind Cat Dad. Anyways, YouTube, Twitch.tv. Yeah. And other I'll, things. I'll, Hamburger. Yeah. Oh, no. I I've been on other podcasts this year. Uh, wrong, not wrong, 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 uh, movies from hell. I might be doing a grind bend in the vague feature. I have to talk to Mike about that. I have the movie picked out. Uh, it's a 90s movie, so, uh, it's a little, a little late for them, but, uh, a 90s movie. And, um, I don't know, uh, other stuff. Just go on to Twitter. You'll see if I make an alfalby on anything. And, uh, yeah, this, I'm not sure. I don't know what's coming out around this time. Possibly, I think I'll drop this after uh, one of the Melville episodes because I'm going to drop all of them around around the same time. Have a whole Melville festival, basically, to celebrate the the brilliant director uh, John Pierre Mer- Melville because uh, his movies fucking rule. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, you know, listen to the thing at the end for all that other stuff. And, uh, yes, I would, uh, Dave, thank you for coming on. You have a open invitation and, um, I'll talk to you when we're done recording about the next season, which is pretty soon. Wow. That's exciting. Thank you for having me on the show. This was fantastic. You're welcome. I'm going to vanish in a poof of smoke now. (laughs) That doesn't happen in the movie, but it would not be out of place. Oh my god, why are there so many birds? Yeah, yeah, I'll vanish in a poof of birds. The show can be found on Twitter at PianoPlayerPod. Our email is still highlowpod at gmail.com. You can find a show on Spotify, Podbean, and various other places where you can find podcasts. Our intro music is by Vivian Fop, and our cover art is by Sarah Roberts. You can find her art, sarahkathleenroberts.com, and thank you for listening.